I feel like he's at this point in his career where like he has so much musical talent, but his critical thinking on social issues is lagging behind that musical talent. That's right. Hi, I'm Eric. And I'm Brittany. And this is For Colored Nerds. The weekly show where we peel back the layers of Black culture we rarely discuss in mixed company. Today, we're talking about one of the most highly anticipated albums of the year. Kendrick Lamar's Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers. It's been five years since Kendrick's last album. There's been, and still is, a pandemic. Racial uprisings, a presidential election, an insurrection, gender wars. Will Smith slaps, Jussie Smollett hearings, and and so much more. It's safe to say listeners were very curious about what Kendrick had to say. Kendrick definitely has something to say. (laughs) And long story short, we got some notes. But Brittany and I weren't the only ones with notes. That's right. We invited friend of the show, Terhaka Love, who's the writer of New York Magazine's newsletter, Dinner Party. Terhaka's joining us today to help us process what Mr. Lamar laid out on this very unique album. All that and more after the break. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your crave. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems, too like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Tahaka, before we get deep into Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers, let's start with how we came to Kendrick's music in the first place. So, Tahaka, you've written extensively about Kendrick and his artistry. Mm-hmm. What started your initial love for his work? The initial love started in high school when I first heard his work from this guy who ended up being like a high school rival. He <laughs> was super excited one morning because we all would come to the cafeteria and do what little black kids would do and make beats and, and, and rap a little bit. So we're all rap heads. And he was just like, this dude is going to be next. This is the guy who's going to take the mantle of king of hip hop and all this sort of stuff. And I was like, okay. And when I listened to Overly Dedicated, I was like, okay, this guy is like thinking about a ton of shit. Yeah. Spirituality, of course, capitalism, celebrity, and all this sort of stuff. He was able to package it in a way that felt pretty accessible to me. And spoke about it in ways that I hadn't heard other artists at the time rap about it. So that was the initial fascination. And I just sort of carried on with him. And that was probably like my junior year of high school. And from there, when I went to school, I was just keeping up with like Section 80. And then the first record, Good Kid, Mad City. At the time, I was like on the track to be a professor. I had gotten wow. like this little fellowship. I know. Oh God, I know. Um, <laughs> and, and so I, I was working with a mentor of mine and we talked about rap music all the time. And I was working on my thesis at the time. And 
when I listened to his records, he just made me think about so much shit. And I thought about what hip hop was in the context of a colonized nation, capitalistic society, all this sort of stuff, right? The big, broad, heady ideas. And so I pretty much based my thesis on Kendrick's work and what it unlocked for me and, and what it helped me to learn about hip hop, the stories of hip hop, the narrative of hip hop, and this like overarching plot that hip hop is a central part of. So yeah, that's the reason why I'm writing so extensively about Kendrick. I actually have a really deep love for his musicality and beyond the music, just for his soul. Like he strikes me as a soul artist more so than just as a sort of rapper. So yeah, that was my initial fascination and it's carried on up until now. I mean, I'm definitely fascinated with Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers for reasons that are very different. Uh, I'll say, say, but um, he's been such a central part of my growth in analyzing culture, starting with music and then broadening out to politics and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah. So I had a different relationship. I was not trying to be a professor or kind of come into (laughs) that. And I even discovered Kendrick after high school. I was very much like already in an adult stage. But I think I actually found him through Vashti. She directed Mm. the uh, ADHD video. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, let me watch this. I was like, oh, this is kind of good. Song's kind of weird. Let me see what's happening here. And I listened to (laughs) Section 80. And I was like, oh, shit. This is really good. Yeah. And then I went back to Overly Dedicated. And I was like, oh, I'm a fan. Like, this guy (laughs) kind of gets me. He gets like a little bit of the like proximity to certain narratives, but I don't know that I'm a part of this. And like, I mm. want to kind of that tension between the the darker aspects of life and kind of choosing something else. I really identified with that. Mm-hmm. So I've been a Kendrick fan and, you know, I won't say I haven't defended him to the death, But, you know, I have tried to make space for, like, a lot of what I think he has been trying to do. Although, I would say I'm in a similar place with this album. (laughs) I'm still wrestling. Brittany, what about you? How do you come to this conversation? I first downloaded Section 80, not knowing anything about Kendrick Lamar, who he was, nothing. And then Mm -hmm. I had this boyfriend that really liked Good Kid, Mad City in a way that, like, can ruin it sometimes, I think, for you as a partner, where it's just like, I don't even want to listen to this anymore because you bored it right. down so much. I enjoyed Section 80. We broke up. I started listening to Good Kid, Mad City on my own again and not just listening to the songs that he preferred to listen to. And it really got me through a really difficult time. I had lost a job in 2013. I was fired from this job that I needed to be fired from. So, And I was, I was, I was bad and it was a it was not a good fit for a job. I needed to be out of there. But I got fired. And then I had this terrible breakup literally like four days later. That was just like too much. And I don't know. There was something, a real like pensiveness and just a confessional quality to his music that I really enjoyed. I felt like with so many, I hate to use this term, but like emerging millennial rappers of that time who were coming out into like their early to mid 20s, there was like a slot that they were supposed to be in. Like Mm -hmm, J. Cole was supposed to be like the college guy. Mm -hmm, So he'd mm -hmm. rap about college. And I was like, (laughs) I don't care. (laughs) Meanwhile, he's like 30, right? Like he's like 30 rapping about college. I'm like, it seems like you've done other things since then. We can move on to different topics. (laughs) But I really like the fact that Kendrick just seemed like a regular guy. 
-hmm. just seemed like a regular person. One of the things that keeps coming to mind when I think about his music is like, almost feels like a balladeer. Like so Mm -hmm. much of his music. And I do actually think that he made a departure on that with this last album. And I think it worked to his detriment, but we'll get to that. I think that he's so good at embodying other people in his songs. Mm -hmm. And also with telling other people's stories in his songs. And another thing that Eric knows about me that you're about to learn right now, Terhaka, is that I was a big theater kid. There's something about a story in a song that I think is always going to appeal to me. Mm-hmm. And that is something that Kendrick absolutely excels at. I didn't realize how much I missed it until I was listening to this new album. But I really do think that there's like some weird, I don't know, maybe like Kendrick has a deep, a theater kid, like deep, deep theater yes. somewhere. Yes. But yes. where he really likes to embody other people and take on their stories and use them to sort of express himself. His music is really good, I think, for solitary listening. Mm. And I think during a lot of points in my life where I was probably the most solitary, I clung to his music mm-hmm. the hardest. And it always has a soft spot in my heart for that reason. Yeah. So... Let's get to the shit. There's been a ton of people who have been anticipating this album. I think it really came to a height as we've experienced a lot of the cycles of protest. And, you know, we observe state violence. A lot of people were like, where was Kendrick? You know, where is Kendrick coming? It's been five years since damn. You know, he had the, the appearance on uh, Baby King's Family Ties. Smoking on your top five tonight, tonight. Smoking on your what's the name tonight? Tonight, smoking on your chosen. So we like, okay, it's coming, <laughs> right? <laughs> and then late April of this year, Kendrick finally announces Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers will drop May thirteenth. May thirteenth comes, and social media goes crazy, but not in the way that I think he intended. Mm. What were y'all's first reactions to the album? Tahaka, we will start with you. Okay, so can I can I just say how I came into this album a little bit? So sure. when I heard the Baby Keem thing, I was like, okay, this is a shift for sure. Mm-hmm. And it felt like a shift to me at that time. It hit me as like, okay, maybe Kendrick is pivoting to having more fun in his records. Like, just imbuing it with more, I wouldn't even necessarily say joy, but it's more like, I'm just going to say whatever the fuck. Like, I'm just going to do whatever I want to do because I got my cousin here and he, you know, he gassed me up. He amped me up. I'm going to say whatever the fuck I got to say. And they really did influence each other a lot. And we could get into that with the album. But my initial sort of thought about that was like, okay, Kendrick has given us a lot of work. Yeah. So if he wants to have fun, go the fuck off. Like, just like mm-hmm. do what you want to do. I was like, you know, yeah. you, you earned this to have like this type of fun with us lyrically. Exactly. So I was like, okay, have fun, bro. As the month sort of kept going, though, uh, <laughs> I started thinking about this album, and I remember when he dropped that it was like a double CD, and I was like, oh shit, this yeah. is this is this isn't good. And around that time, because a lot of my friends obviously know I, I, I love Kendrick a lot, and like Eric, mm-hmm. sometimes I'll defend him beyond the point of like rationale. When the double CD dropped, my friends hit me up and were like, what are you thinking? And I was like, yo, for real, I'm going into this album thinking it's probably going to be his worst one. Mm. I don't know. I just had that feeling like Mm. maybe it was just like too much shit going on in the world. And I just know that Dot is going to try to talk about all of this stuff. And he already had the Hebrew Israelite thing going. Yes. And sometimes he just he he just be wilding sometimes. Like he just be like (laughs) and he won't answer for it. So, you know, I'm just like, I'm not. 
I don't know what this is gonna give. And and yo, when the heart part five came out. That's culture. 23 hour lockdown. Then somebody called, said your little nephew was shot down. The coach is involved. I didn't see niggas do 17. Hit the halfway house. Get out and get his brains blown out. Looking to buy some weed. Car washes played out. New GoFundMe accounts to proceed. A brand new victim. I was like, oh shit. Oh no. This is not good. I mean, this is like some spoken word, chorusless shit with this weird ass fucking like this weird ass deep fake AI like what the fuck are we doing I remember sitting sitting and watching that video with one of my friends and we was and we was trying to take it in because again we both love Kendrick yeah. and so like four minutes into it she's like you gotta turn this shit off <laughs> she said I was like oh my god I was like we have to get through it just for the love of Kendrick but yeah it was just weird and so Coming into Mr. Morale, I was just sort of like, okay, I'm going to try to be open, knowing that some weird shit's going to happen. And when I first listened to it, I was like, he seemed really mm-hmm. scattered on the album. And I think that was the first mm-hmm. thing that a lot of people took away from it. But for me, by the end of it, I was just sort of like, uh, many of these songs do not appeal to me on a lyrical level, storytelling level. They're just not compelling to me all the way. And it felt like the first time where I was like, oh shit, I've probably aged out of Kendrick Lamar. And it was wild to feel, to be honest, because I'm just like, he's so highly anticipated. And Mm -hmm. this was one of the first albums where there wasn't much for me to feel like I was relating to as someone who like thinks about the music deeply. Granted, there are there is compelling stuff within it. I don't want to say that the entire album is is trash necessarily, but it is very mid, and <laughs> and I just wasn't, and I just didn't, I didn't feel great about it. One thing that I will say is that what really, really kind of fucked with me was actually the tactics of the mm. album. Like, how do you go about hmm. trying to teach people, which is what he seems to be doing sometimes, while also being entertaining. And his tactics in this album were so shock value-ish that I was just like, this feels almost beneath him. Yes. That feels a little harsh, but honestly, that's how I felt. Yeah. I think a lot of that was my <laughs> yeah. kind of reaction too. And just like, oh, so much of his, his stuff is intentional. Mm-hmm. Like he has like a, what feels like a very clear framework for what he's trying to do. So as I'm listening, I'm just like, huh, okay, am, am, I, am I not catching it? <laughs> or like, is it not feel as tight? And then I'm like, oh no, wait, I just think I don't like how you're going about it. And I think some of the best way to explore that is like, actually to go into some of the themes. First and foremost, like generational trauma. Kendrick talks about his relationship with his father and father time. He even gives some, you know, insight into like passed down sexual trauma and mother are sober. But just like it's clear his connection to his family and how he's thinking about them is really, really relating. Brittany, I want you to give your reactions to the album, like first, and I know you had a probably the most complicated, <laughs> but I want to hear about that. And then I'm curious how you also think about that theme of generational trauma. This is the thing scattered is, I'm so glad you used that word to because <laughs> that's how the entire album came across to me. And the songs where I felt like he was speaking about his father, Father Time, and Mother I Sober, which is the penultimate song on the album where he actually does get into his family trauma. Those were the two where I felt like 
he was the most coherent. Like, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? I felt like he was speaking as himself and actually telling a story, which is the thing that he does best. But it felt like, um, it reminded me of something that can happen sometimes in real life, uh, reflecting on some of my own experiences as a Black woman who has dated only Black men. And it felt like the album was lacking accountability. Mm-hmm. And so the generational mm-hmm. trauma piece was really interesting to me because he was so clear when he came to talking about how other people's actions toward him and his parents' lives and their experiences and how the past affected him. But he was much more furtive when it came to being clear about cheating on his partner, Whitney, and wrestling with considering himself a prophet or a savior. Like there was so much clarity when he was thinking about how other people's actions affected him. But I felt like I couldn't even, I couldn't fully always follow the generational trauma line because he was very vague (laughs) about how his behavior had affected other people. We got a snippet of it in that second to last song, Mother Eye Sober. We got a snippet of how his actions have really, it seems like on a deeper level, affected his partner and the mother of his children, Whitney. Except for one, let me bring you closer, intoxicated. There's a lustful nature that I failed to mention. Insecurities that I project sleeping with other women. Whitney's hurt, the pure soul I know. I also mentioned to you, I thought it was very curious that Whitney is such a private person. She's not public to us on social media. He, She's never really out with him. You don't see her too much. I found it very interesting that she was so much a part of like the cover art and the music and the lyrics yeah. and she appears on songs. He has his children, you know right. what I'm saying, on the on the front cover. But he was trying to make this generational tie, some of that jumbledness that the album has and like him being unable to teach people or, or having terrible mm-hmm. tactics with teaching, as you mentioned, Terhaka. I just think it's really reflective of probably mm-hmm. where, I mean, you know, frankly, many people are in their lives around this age. Like I said, I'm 34 and so is he. Like really clear about what everybody did to fuck you up. Not ready to take accountability for how you fucked other people up. But the thing that's difficult is, even though he has this song talking about I'm not a savior, it's clear that he wants to still be seen a certain way. He wants to still kind of be on that pedestal or else he wouldn't have released a fucking album. You know, on one hand, I had the same feeling that you had, Taraka, where I was just like, have I outgrown Kendrick Lamar? And then the more I slept on it, I was like, probably, possibly, mm. but I also am still curious to see what the next album might sound like. There's a chance that it really could just be all Supreme Mathematics. <laughs> and there's, <laughs> there's a chance. And there's also a chance, though, that it could be more reflective and more thematically, more contrite, kind of like a 444. Yeah. Totally different album. Yeah. But there was a lot, when I, I actually went back and listened to 444 yesterday to prepare for this, and I was like, oh yeah, this is just a different, this is a different phase of life with different lessons and maturity, and maybe Kendrick will get there. Did you share any of that, Tahaka? Definitely when it comes to the accountability part and how that connects to, to the generational trauma stuff, I thought Kodak Black's inclusion in it throughout was a very fascinating choice in terms of what work he believed himself to be doing or what we perceive Mm. his work to be doing in this time to have Kodak on there. Again, it feels scattered and it feels a little contradictory in the sense that, especially later on when he's like, I am not your savior. This is him freeing himself up literally on record for all the bullshit. 
that he yes. sees around him or even the bullshit that other people have done. When I got to that record, I was like, this low-key feels like a betrayal a little bit because yeah. you said yes. you're saying that you're not our savior, but we're not the ones who necessarily put you there, right? Like we can put you there mm-hmm. and you can decide early mm-hmm. on in your career if you want to be a savior or not. But you got mm-hmm. off on being the savior. Like you got off mm-hmm. on being the king of hip hop, the king of rap. Mm-hmm. Like you did that. And you know what? When when you were exclaiming that, I was right behind you. He's the king of rap. Like, he's the yeah. great. Like, <laughs> yes, absolutely. And also, I'll say this. I love those raps from Kendrick. I love when, when Kendrick says, like, actually, I'm the coldest motherfucker here. Like, yeah, burn your top five. Yes, burn that top five. Let's go. <laughs> yes, absolutely. But don't do the thing where you, you talk in all this fucking noise early on in your career, and then we actually expect you to do something and mm-hmm. we're wallin' for putting you on a pedestal. That's like, what I said. Like, <laughs> I, like you making it like it's my fault that I thought you were going to say something. Now, I will say Eric knows for the record. I said, didn't I say he wasn't going to say shit? He wasn't gonna do shit. <laughs> didn't I say that? I said that yeah. two years ago. People were like, where's Kendrick? The pandemic has started. It was like, I was like, he's not going to do anything. No. But wait, but what did you think? Because I've been talking, Tarak have been talking, but what I, I, you and I actually have not discussed this. Really yeah, yet. Eric. We haven't had a chance. <laughs> so the thing that was a huge disconnect for me is it, it felt like he did a little bit of work and then a lot of leaping, like to get to what happens next. The generational trauma, he's observing a lot of things in his own family. I I imagine in his friends and his community, all Mm -hmm. that stuff, you know? And he's clearly been doing some self-work, but I don't know how you get to, okay, I feel uncomfortable with how people have painted me Mm -hmm. as a savior to, okay, I am a savior and I can redeem these other people who have done horrible shit and have not signaled anywhere that they have done even a a hair of Mm self-work. There's like a looseness or a scatteredness and Mm -hmm. even the thinking Mm -hmm. that like Kendrick is usually a little better than. Mm -hmm. Yes. You know? And so it was just like, to your point, like, am I, have I aged out? Or like with doing that work, I kind of, you get to understand better why you can't redeem anybody else. That's right. Like the work is redeeming yourself. That's right. And so like this idea of the savior, sure, maybe you're rebelling against that, but it would have been so much more impactful if you could have just like completely looked internally as opposed to the need to make it this like meta Mm -hmm. conversation with people who have done harm because what is the need to like speak to r kelly to speak to kodak to to put kodak on the fucking album like that part i was just like damn there's i can't there's no defending this this is weird no it's very and all that stuff is connected honestly if kodak is included and there is this like more drawn out sort of processing with him where you could sort of bring in the broader things of like, do y'all know what it means to live in a, in a colonized way? Like to have your imagination to be colonized and what that then makes you believe about what you can do to other people, like how other people are made available to you or that sort of thing, right? Like the kind of violence that then uh, that allows you to purport against other people And if Kodak is literally on the record saying, like, 
this shit is actually terrible. It really fucked with my mind and I wasn't able to to deal with it. And I'm trying to like figure out how to do it instead of just saying, oh, we all come from gangland and that's why we are how we are. And it's like, yep. yeah, I get that. But like, I'll say this, when I listen to specifically his parts and, and kind of what Kendrick was trying to do, I think about a lot of the literature that incarcerated people write and articulate mm-hmm. and I was just reading one. He was an associate of uh, Sundiata Akuli, who was just released. And he talks about, again, growing up in a colonized locale and what and what gangs are and what that sort of violence entails. It's a belief that you have power over any other subject mm-hmm. within the colony. So you create this like neo-colony, right? And when I saw people talking about what Kodak was doing on the album proponents of of Kendrick would say like always oh, we're trying to like unpack these like broader things that happen within the the social order or the colonized subject and all that type of stuff and I'm just like well when you read the literature from those specific people there is that processing there is that work of like okay I actually have to decolonialize my mind like I actually have to think about what liberation means not just for me spiritually but for other people so then we don't have the issue of like i believe because i have the power i can redeem other people and i can say you don't have to worry about that because i redeemed you my god how do you say that i am not the savior and then just absolve all the harm that you have done and the harm that other black men have done against other people. I, I I just didn't, I didn't get that. When I listened to it, I actually texted a friend of mine. I was like, this Loki feels like a betrayal to some degree. Like I feel yeah. a little betrayed by this and I don't enjoy it. And one other thing that I'll say is that, you know, when he, re- when he announced this album, he said he wasn't on his phone. Like he wasn't doing the technology thing. And I think it was Paul Thompson who wrote a review where it's like, there's no way that he wasn't on his phone. That's bullshit. like there was yeah. like just the way that you're talking about this way. stuff. There's no way. Exactly. Even I just think about the music, something that he engaged in sonically to me, it felt like for the first time was trendiness. I felt mm. like there were so many mm. songs on this album that were trendy. And I was like, I don't know if it was your child's Spotify that you were also listening to baby shark on, but you were on somebody's <laughs> internet listening to some young people music. You were on somebody's YouTube. You were on TikTok. Don't, Lies <laughs> and me. Of course. Exactly. Of course. <laughs> exactly. This shit found you some way. Okay. <laughs> to that end, I feel like that is a good point to pivot to like we cry together. You Strangely, me, nigga, uh, it's nothing. You know what? Fuck, fuck you, nigga. bitch. Fuck you, bitch. No, fuck you, no, nigga. Fuck you, bitch. No, fuck you, nigga. Fuck you, bitch. Fuck you, bitch. Fuck you, fuck you, bitch. Fuck you, <laughs> the out. audience can't see. I just took both Tahaka and Brittany out. We're just mentioning the name of the song. So Kendrick decided to step into the infidelity and toxic relationships chat with that song. And, you know, he speaks in quite a few tracks to like mention how he stepped out on his wife, Whitney, sexual frustration, uh-huh. using white women to get back at the ancestors. But We Cry Together is even different. It's just like <laughs> spoken word argument between a couple, played mm-hmm. by Kendrick and Taylor Page. And it's very reminiscent of like Stan from Eminem. Mm. I also think about R. Kelly and Sparkle. Dr. Dre and, um, and Eminem. Oh, Guilty Conscience. Guilty Conscience. <laughs> <laughs> The song is doing a lot. How did y'all feel about Kendrick deciding to just lay it all out? I, 
I'll say this. Excellent performance by Taylor Page. True. <laughs> yes. That voice crackled, that rasp that she was able to just continue. I was like, girl, you True. are putting on a performance, okay? You're talking about a theater kid. <laughs> when I first listened to it, I was almost like, okay, this is pretty ambitious, I guess. Like, yeah. And I and for a lot of this, I think it's like it's a it's a big swing, and I can actually appreciate and respect Kendrick for taking big swings. But when I listen to it, I'm just sort of like, is this a joke? Like, is this is this supposed to be a parody of something? Like, what is even this conversation? It felt like one of those things that you would hear like in like in 2011 or something. You know what I mean? Like, like right around the time where we were trying to figure out, are we going to vote for Obama again? Um, and it was causing some some consternation between the folks. This was around the time where it felt like the CIA and the FBI were causing some disagreements between black men and black women. It's very hetero. That's another thing that I'm like really struggling with. I was like, this is a hetero ass conversation. <laughs> Just what it is. Like, but I, I understand why this is happening. Like, I think there's this sort of like almost in response to how much perceived influence Black women have on social media, that because of the reaction to how Black men actually treat Black women, that the idea that Black women don't like shit on Black men is, I think from Black men's perspective, it was like, oh, y'all don't, y'all don't think Black women be shitting on niggas? Like, that's, that's, you don't think that it's like, I mean, obviously, yeah, yeah I mean, we shit on each other and that's what the issue is. <laughs> so in that, I kind of understand the impulse for why that track was there. Again, this is like a tactical thing to me where it's like, did that get across the idea that we got to talk better to each other, that we need to speak to each other with with more respect and more care and not disregard? And I just didn't feel that. Look, you want to go first? It's up to you. You seem like you you had to go first. (laughs) So I'll let you go. I actually like the song. It's ridiculous. I like it in a way. The show is canceled. We are done. Yo, it's done. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean... Like, look, I like it in the way, like, something is, like, a bit of a train wreck and, like, mm. so much that you're like, okay. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I think that tactical point is really important because coming back to, like, the intention of Kendrick, like, he, he is so intentional. He wants you to believe that. I think he has lost the plot of how much analysis we can or should be doing on his music because I think if you have a healthy understanding of gender politics and dynamics, just the state of the world right now, you can kind of get what he's trying to do, but there's a ton of people who don't. And all those people don't listen to dissect to get the whole season of like how this shit breaks down And it was just kind of frustrating because, like, I knew I wasn't going to get that second beat from Kendrick at some point that is like, here's what I was trying to do (laughs) with this. Nigga, y'all got to chill. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, we be fucking up. This is bad. People actually talk like this in partnership, and that's not okay. Mm -hmm. We're not going to get that. So there's a lot of ambiguity, and I think that kind of mutes some of the power that he thinks his music can have. Mm. Mm. I don't know. It, but but also, I, I kind of laugh through the whole oh, song. Oh, absolutely. Like, <laughs> I mean, I mean, Taylor made that song. She yes. made yes. that song. 
I think on a couple musical levels, the song actually does work. Like it's interesting. Like the way that it was produced, I think was interesting. It reminds me of one of my favorite interludes of all time, Kim and Cookie from Stank On You. Oh yeah, yeah. Wow. Kim and Cookie. I love, I love it. It's just like, I love like a good, like highly produced interlude. And that's kind of how it started, which I do like mm-hmm. against theatrical, which Kendrick likes. <laughs> and I like the fact that it kind of did go into a song like people actually do. You know, I'm driving this shit home. Like people actually do in musicals, they'll be like, you know what? We should start a marching band right here in River City. And then all of a sudden they're fucking singing. Fucking like that's kind of what happens. You know? And so I did like that part. I like the fact that after a while you're like, oh, they're like speaking to a rhythm. He really comes alive when it's time for him to sort of like perform in his little skits. And he likes to mix his skits with his songs. And this was the first song on this album that I was like, oh, right. This normally you're talking through other people about something that you think or you're talking about other people. But you've been talking about yourself for like eight <laughs> songs now. And I am on the road. Like, so it was interesting to me that finally he spent so much time talking about romantic relationships on the album. And this is the song where there's a real confrontation between someone representing women and him, someone who's representing men in a very hetero context. And It's like, oh, when there's a direct confrontation of all the times on this album, that's actually when you choose to go into character and to sort of like not show up as yourself. Mm. And I think that's connected to the roundabout ways that he talks about cheating. The other thing too, also about We Cry Together, that bothered me. And when I was taking some notes, I said that I think I'm too old for this song because just over the years, myself having been in, you know, terrible situations and, you know, knowing other women throughout my life who have been in terrible situations, I hate normalizing even in comedy by people talking to just people talking to each other like that, romantic relationships. Mm -hmm. So I still have a part of that where I'm just like, I don't like that. And I don't think it's cute. Mm -hmm. And additionally, which really made me not like this song was the lyrical content. I listened to it three times in a row, first time I heard it, because I'm like, I need to figure out what is she complaining about and what is he complaining about? Mm-hmm. And the woman had legitimate gripes. Your mom hates me. You let her treat me with disrespect. You're cheating on me all the time. You put a car in my name. All these things for me are a no-go, non-starter. And <laughs> his stuff was just like, you talk to me crazy and you treat me and you're mean. <laughs> and it's like the the song gives their concerns equal weight, but legitimate gripes that like women who date men have with men are put on the same level as men just not liking the way that women talk to them. And I felt like this song really reinforced that. And I think it's one of the most pernicious and terrible ways that misogyny shows up in Black hetero dating culture. And also, I think it's directly tied to his lack of accountability for his romantic relationship, for showing up the way he does in his romantic relationship. And to me, it, and, and the kind of the lack of discussion around how he has put himself out there as being toward his partner. I Granted, that's his personal life, right? Mm-hmm. But he's put it front and center on the album. Yeah. The lack of discussion of that in on social media that I've seen mm-hmm. in reviews, to me, it's almost reflective of how not seriously <laughs> we as a culture take disrespect yeah. toward women in heterosexual relationships. Yeah. Like he's talked so much about being a teacher and a father. And leading by example. And his son is part two and he's got to protect his daughter. He'd kill for her and all this stuff. And he's looking for sharks outside the window while he's playing baby shark with his daughter. And I kind of shit it to their mom. We're just going to kind of like move through that because I'm breaking generational curses, right? <laughs> <laughs> and um, 
it's just weird. It's like he, he doesn't even apologize. I mean, he apologizes once toward the very end, but most of it's like, I hope you have a forgiving spirit. That's why. I hope you see the God so, in me. So that's, my thing is, is like, I, I just, it's just so, that song, We Cry Together, even the title, it's just like, no, we're not crying together. <laughs> Piss me the fuck off. We're not crying together. I'm mad, nigga. Yeah, you cry. Like, exactly. <laughs> I, we could talk about that song forever. <laughs> but there is one more that we have yes, yes. to get to, which is the most controversial song on the album, Auntie Diaries. All right, so... We'll get into Auntie Diaries right after this quick break. You don't want to miss our conversation on this song. You know, when I first heard it, I was I wanted to give, as we are one to do, want to give Kendrick the benefit of the doubt. But that shit runs out. By the time we get to Auntie Diaries, my meter's running low. Be right back. When Tillamook ice cream beckons you to the freezer aisle, which irresistibly creamy flavor do you choose? While you're thinking, try not to fuck up the glass. Tillamook ice cream. Extraordinary dairy. Who doesn't love a classic chocolate chip cookie? Famous Amos has been making them since the 70s. 1975, to be exact. With semi-sweet chocolate chips and a satisfying crunch, it's everything classic in one bite-sized cookie, and fans couldn't get enough. That's right. You'll find our original recipe, the one you know and love, in every bag of Famous Amos original chocolate chip cookies. Find Famous Amos anywhere you buy your favorite snacks. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Life doesn't have a pause button. That's why Capella University's FlexPath Learning Format lets you set your own deadlines and adjust them if something comes up. Imagine how a flexible education can make a difference for you at capella.edu. For those who might not know, on Auntie Diaries, Kendrick reveals that his uncle is a trans man and details a journey that his family took to accepting his uncle. The music up under me. My auntie is a man now. Ask my mama why my uncles don't like him that much. And at the parties, why they always want to fight him that much. She said, ain't no telling. Niggas always been jealous because he had more This would be revelatory. <laughs> if not for kind of how wild the execution was, which was filled with dead naming, dropping F-bombs, just like a whole sort of kind of cluster of speaking toward kind of queer identity in a way that almost everybody has accepted that we have moved past. Tahaka, I want to start with you. <laughs> Auntie Diaries, you have the floor. <laughs> yeah, this song is bad. This mm -hmm. song is not good. It's not good, I don't think, on 
on many levels. You know, when I first heard it, I was I wanted to give, as we are one to do, want to give Kendrick the benefit of the doubt. But that shit runs out. By the time we get to Auntie Diaries, my meter's running low. Um, when it comes to the F word, I don't even say that word. I'm queer, I don't even say it. When it comes to that, I, I feel like we all know what's up. We all know what's up. Yeah. And so we didn't mm-hmm. need that. And my my thing was, I believe in my heart, my, my real ass heart, my black ass heart, that Kendrick Lamar is much more creative than this. Whatever excuse his fans will give us as to why they felt like it was fine for him to use that word, whatever you want to say about it. He's more creative than this. Mm-hmm. And as much as his uncle was the first person or a pivotal person in his life to expose him to transness and trans being, it's very clear that he is not in community with trans people. I mean, far be it for me to say anything about what trans people like or or don't like. I am in community with trans people, though. And when they heard that record, they're hitting me up like, get your nigga. <laughs> like, like what, mm-hmm. what, what the fuck is this? And so for me, I do think that there is space to talk about your position as someone who is not trans coming into an understanding of what it means to be a trans person, or, or at least your first window into transness. There's like a hundred other ways that that could have happened, including, and I don't like to, I don't like to like criticize or analyze any piece of art from a place of deficiency. And what that means is like, I'm not going to talk about all the things that you could have done. I'm going to talk about what you actually did. I'll make an exception for this though, (laughs) because there are so many trans rappers, queer rappers, queer artists, whatever, who could have given us wow, such a clearer picture of what it means to be trans. Such a clearer picture of what it looks like for other people outside of the community to come to an understanding of what it means to be trans. And for me, it just felt like a complete miss. And so, I mean, insofar as that it caused conversation, sure, it was successful, but it was a shock conversation. It was a a harmful conversation. It was a violent conversation. And it left trans people having to, again, defend themselves from bullshit from violent ass Kendrick Lamar fans who don't give a shit about them. Mm. And to put trans people in that position to have to do that, knowing that your fans will take apart all the things that you say and give you the benefit of the doubt time and time again, because you're their favorite rapper. It's, it's just bullshit to me. And for a person to have such a clear understanding of what his fans want, they want that those stories, all these like different abstract ideas piled into one thing so that they can all analyze it for somebody to understand what it means to be a savior what it means to be the central rap influence to a lot of people he fumbled the fucking bag like he fumbled the fucking ball and that's something that like it doesn't matter if i forgive him at all i don't but there's like so many other queer people who are actually kendrick lamar fans who can who cannot be fans anymore who now have to be subject to other people calling them stupid. I'm sorry. This, it was such like a frustrating listen for me. And even more so for my friends. It just felt like one of those things of like, sometimes a nigga think he's just too smart for everybody else. And and I'm sorry, bro, but you're just not. I'm sorry. You're not. Bingo. So this song for me, I was just like, damn, it's the exact point you just made. You're 
both smarter than this and not as smart as mm-hmm. you kind of think you are. Yes. It comes back again. The word of the album is like, for me, is intentionality and tactics. He went through a lot of work, if you really go through the lyrics, to try to create a justification based on like time and like different mm-hmm. perspectives. Mm-hmm. Or why you could be saying these words, why you could be referring to his uncle in this way. You could have, if you had that, you could have put a little <laughs> bit more, a little bit more, just to like make sure the people who like you are speaking to like a desire for a space for actually feel comfortable in that space. Right. (laughs) You know? Yeah. And that was kind of fascinating to me that like, it just felt that intentionally Mm. shitty. I, I am a Kendrick fan. Yes. Yes. I was just like, this is shitty. Yeah. You don't have to do it like this. And the artistry that you applied to the desire to do it does not excuse it. It was, yeah. that was rough. Mm-hmm. I'm not like, that yeah. was rough. The other th- kind of frustrating thing is, I do feel like there's a community that that maybe does not or willfully, for whatever reason, has not progressed to the point of kind of understanding some of these dynamics. Sure, that exists. And for this song, on some level, sure, I appreciate this is taking maybe those people a step forward, but you're taking them to a step where intentionally or unintentionally, those people can still cause harm. The folks who are like, oh, actually, this is pushing us forward. And like, I go forward a little bit, but maybe I stop for a while to see kind of like what this new landscape is like. They're going to call somebody everywhere or they're going to dead name or like, you know, they're going to do some stupid shit that's like in between, you know, the, the understanding that they should have and and maybe are on their way to. And I think for someone who is that smart and at this level, understanding that like these songs do have power to create space and to change things, it was just wild disappointing that like this is how you choose to do it. You know, even on complexion, terrible song. <laughs> He at least had the the, like forethought. Let me invite a woman woman. onto this song. (laughs) Something (laughs) to have another viewpoint. Where the fuck was that courtesy here? Ah, it makes me mad. Aside from the fact that it's it's a very ugly song, ugly. It's Mm -hmm. not good. And like like in addition to the fact that the lyrics are ugly, the song is not good. It's bad. And it's just not there for me. Part of the reason why people are so disappointed, because like this, it's not just being angry or being disgusted. There's also disappointment there. The reason I think why people are disappointed is because it's the same reason. It's not the same reason, but it's connected to uh, why so many of us were annoyed by him being like, I'm not your savior and him platforming Kodak Black and all these things. He is somebody who has always 
wanted to center social issues throughout his career. Like that's what yeah. a lot of his song songs have been about is looking at society and talking about its ills and a desire to have things be different. And it's very like God complex, savior complex behavior to act like whatever harm you're enacting upon somebody <laughs> is like you helping them. Right. <laughs> like it's so, it's so savior complex, God complex, like to be like, I don't know anything about transness or transhood or what it's like to be a trans person at all. As you mentioned, Taraka, I don't think he's a community of trans people at all. Somebody would have been like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> this, shit this, is, this is not going to help you with anything. Um, like in addition to the fact that it's not good and it's harmful, it also potentially is going to do something harmful to your career because we, uh, as you mentioned, Eric, earlier, the stuff that's in that song is stuff that like pretty much everybody's agreed, even in just polite society has agreed is unacceptable to say or express. And there's just a real like arrogance there. That's sort of just like, not only like, do, do I know best about how I should talk about transhood through my music? Which he doesn't, obviously. <laughs> not only am I not going to read books that have been out for decades that <laughs> plenty of trans people have written about their own lived experiences, even if you don't want to read a book. It's also just like, I don't know, like, I think you use somebody else's computer and Google things. Like, it's not hard <laughs> to find out how to be decent or how to approach something with care. Mm-hmm. Um, and... It's really like very God complex to think I know best. And mm-hmm. despite what everybody else thinks, this is my best effort and you need to accept it. That's very much how the song coming out and being on this album felt to me. Mm-hmm. But also like him saying, I'm not your savior and I'm going to have Kodak Black on because we all need redemption. And what if R. Kelly had never been molested as a child? Would he have turned out to be who he was? Like wrong question, first of all. Correct. Yeah. That is a, a an important question, but it's the wrong question to be starting with in these kinds mm-hmm. of conversations about right. the kind of harm that R. Kelly has caused on generations of people. But like the thing is, is that where he sees himself as a savior in our eyes, I think what we we're looking for was accountability from somebody who has always claimed to care about us, all mm-hmm. of us. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that's what's so disappointing about this song is like, you did not bother to do the most bare minimum of due diligence to put out something about an experience that you don't know anything about. Right. And you have always claimed to care about us. You've always wanted to make us black people the center of your world, the center of your aesthetic, the center of your music. And yet, and yet, the, mm. you know, this is how you treat some of us. Yeah. And it, it's sad because he, I don't know, I feel like he's at this point in his career where like he has so much musical talent, but his critical thinking on social issues is lagging behind that musical talent. That's right. And he's at a point where he has resources, he has teams, he has a phone probably at this point again. <laughs> He has all of whatever he needs to learn mm-hmm. and it's not happening. That's why we're all feeling like we're aging out of his music. And it's sad because he's not progressing with everybody else. And again, you know, it's funny to me that he brought up future on that song savior. Like, you know, future told you you get a money counter. He's not your savior. Future is like Lil Wayne. Lil Wayne said, I ain't nobody's role model. <laughs> like, don't look I at ain't me. never tried to be. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Future was like, I respect um, that. My main goal. Exactly. <laughs> be who you are. Future said, my main goal is to have children twice with the same woman. If I can get there, <laughs> I know I'm doing good. That's, that's, Future said that like last month. You literally okay? just said that, yeah. <laughs> literally just said that. So like, you 
I've been trying to like walk us through the etymology of the word nigga <laughs> and the ghost of Tupac is speaking to you and you want us to love our brown skin. Like, come on, man. Like, don't act like y'all are do- on the same level. Like, you have taught us to expect better from you. Mm-hmm. I- I'm really glad that you brought in complexion because I think there is actually a lot of like uh, connective tissue there. And one thing that sort of uh, amplifies the disappointment a little bit is that there is a level of like, you know, those social influencers who are like the woo woo divine girls. <laughs> Trust me, Do we know. Me. We did a whole episode. <laughs> Where, where it's like they're woo woo divine, but then they're like low key kind of just mean. <laughs> like they're just they're yeah. just kind of rude and mean. <laughs> yeah. This album, in addition to like when I when I think about complexion, I think about that. When I think about this album, I think about that because there is this level of like I'm freeing myself, the self careness of it all. And while that yes allows you individually to feel some level of liberation, redemption, absolution. Is really what I think he's after. It hardly ever translates to being a good person unless you're able to like be, unless you're able to un- actually understand other people. Like, and I don't want to even use the word empathy there. I mean, like actually share in community with people, actually struggle with them. I don't think empathy gets to the struggle of what it means to like actually get to know someone. And to me, it's like, this this album felt super individualistic, even insofar as that, like, he's looking out to the world um, and how things are changing or whatever. It's so individualistic that and it's so, like, false positive, like, mm-hmm. that at the end of it, I'm like, is this dude, is he mean? Like, is he, mm. I don't I don't think that he I think he's like, like we were saying, earlier, I think he's a regular dude for the most part. Mm-hmm. But by the end of it, I, I hated that feeling of like okay, you seem to be all right with everything, but why does it feel like everybody else is losing? Mm. That didn't sit right with me. Whereas before, like we're talking about I and you and all right, and all of these Mm. songs that sort of celebrate what it means to be a Black person um, in the United States, or at at the very least is engaged with the tumult of being a Black person here in the United States. This one just... it felt like a self-absolution, but through other people. And that and it just you almost feel like like a tool, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and that feels awful. <laughs> like yeah. that feels really awful, man. Yeah. All right. So we got this album. I I, I hate to kind of <laughs> lean into the end on this note, but like th- this is what he gave us. This is where we are. How do you think about the path for for Kendrick? as an artist, and your relationship to that artistry. Is this severed or maybe just like, uh, yeah, what comes next? Well, I'll, I'll say that I will always have Damn. I will always have Good Kid, Mad City. <laughs> I will always have To Pip a Butterfly. And those those records are so good. Um, and, mm-hmm. you know, they they still hold a lot of weight for me, even if it's nostalgic weight. But those those songs just go hard. Like in any in any era, I think those songs go hard. I am not particularly interested in whatever the next moment for Kendrick is. What what I'll say is that I'll, I'll listen to the next album for sure because I, I've had a journey with this man through very pivotal points in my life. But the benefit of the doubt thing that's out the window. 
the the idea that I gotta like defend this dude that's out the window. I'm older. <laughs> I'm, at a, I'm at a different place, and and you know what? I I can respect an artist who wants to serve a particular population of people and hopefully lead to their progression through social issues and and um, I guess social anxieties that people can feel. Like I, I want that for people, and I and I want. I would hope that the, the songs get people up to a, the next step of their understanding. So my my trust and my hope is is in the listeners, is in is in the audience, is in people sort of growing, and hopefully it's a stepping stone. But at this point, Kendrick is a celebrity, man. Like Kendrick is a celebrity. He's a he's a millionaire. Um, he's not really with the the at least outwardly activist shit. And as long as he's, I think, beefed out with no name quietly. And and sort of on his his weird shit right now. I'm I'm good. I'm good. I'm I'm good with them. I'll, I'll stick to them. Um, I think. How you feeling, Eric? It seems like. Yeah. How are y'all? Are you? This I. You still like we you were through a breakup. Yeah, or something. it's really tough. No, it, it, it's rough. It's been rough. Yeah. I won't lie. Like I was talking to Alexis. In, in our producer and preparing for this and I don't like this shit kind of had me twisted yeah. up I was <laughs> you <Yeah>. know <laughs> it's so hard to find faves yes as a straight black man <laughs> you know what I'm saying it's, it's hard out there. so like with Kendrick you know it's disappointing to get to the point where either I've aged out or like I need you when you catch up mm. You could do some reading. I've done some reading. I have people in my community. I seek out the opportunity to understand things that I don't. Right. And, like, I need that after the recognition of a desire for accountability. Mm -hmm. You know, like, I listen to this album and it's clearly... The oh, you just started therapy album. Yes, because that I don't want like that experience for me was huge. Fucked me all the way up. <laughs> you know, there's so much of a man. This like breaks apart my whole world of like recognizing where I've done harm, where I've experienced harm, all the different factors that weigh on like my ability to exist in the world on a day to day basis. And I understand and I hear all of that in this album. But there's another step that is harder, which is to then once you have that realization, which is to understand that the only way out of that in a healthier way is introspection, accountability, and work. And I think we got introspection. We got the intro. You <laughs> got the first part. You got the first part down. But like, I need you to get the rest of the way, fam. Or do you need to do a real fucking interview? Not with Joe. Yes. <sighs> Not you, bro. But say it. Say it, please. Not Charlemagne. <laughs> You need to do an interview, a, a long-ass feature where somebody... Not Nori. Thank you, Alexis. Yeah. <laughs> you need to do a long feature with a journalist who can, like, 
help you to navigate explaining what you are trying to do with this artistry? Mm -hmm. For what it's worth, I don't think there's a great answer, even if he doesn't. Mm -hmm. But like, to Brittany's point, the accountability is speaking to that clearly. And we just don't have that. And no. I'm I'm kind of mad. Because, like, I'm what pissed. the fuck? Jay-Z taking more okay, accountability whoa. than you? Listen. Listen. <laughs> when you go back and you listen to 444. Because I really thought about it. And I was like, not Jay-Z. Not Uncle <laughs> Money Max. <laughs> over here. <laughs> to like, actually, like, if you actually go. Because that's the thing I kept thinking of. I'm like, okay. I don't expect any sort of political self-study from any of these motherfuckers at all. Even No Name, somebody who's pretty been pretty open about being dedicated to self-study and to reading and to like taking that stuff in and and allowing it to inform her music, even if her music is not specifically about those things. Mm -hmm. Like I'm not necessarily looking to her for that, but there's a quality actually that I think permeates No Name's music that also actually is present in, in on parts of 444 which is a very capitalist yes. album i mean mm-hmm. the, there's a like the, i mean the, you could i could go down a rabbit hole talking about how the reason i think that jay-z even had to make that album full of contrition is because beyonce is such a beloved and rich <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and like highly you know like marketable public figure who the public was like, why did you cheat on this woman? Give we us gotta know. Answers, right? I still want to know. <laughs> like, I still want to know. I, you haven't actually cleared it up for no me clue. because, look, there's a lot of men out there with low self-confidence who would still be nice to Beyonce if she like went out with them. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So I'm like, <laughs> quickly. But, but, uh, there's like a, there is at least on the emotional, like with like the emotional sort of through line of that album, him trying to get to a place of repair with their relationship, at least as it's explained on the album, as he's showing it to us through the art, there is a real undergird of account of emotional accountability and sort of like, I'm going to take responsibility for what I did. I'm going to take responsibility for my side of the street. I'm going to really plainly admit that what I did was wrong. And I was, I'm such a small person for doing that to another person. And like Jay-Z has terrible politics. (laughs) This man is a cool with the fucking NFL, right? Like kids, terrible politics. But there's an emotional accountability that when I went back and revisited the album yesterday, five years later, I, I, I still felt like that was actually really emotionally resonant. And like I'm with you both. Like I'm not really going to be like seeking out new music from Kendrick Lamar. But the next time he puts out a, a fully formed album, I'll be curious to see if, in place of any sort of political education, which I don't see happening. I will be curious to see if he does achieve some sort of personal, emotional accountability. And if that enters the music, I don't know if I, I don't know if I actually, I don't know if I call myself a fan. I think I've always felt more of like an appreciator of his music. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I don't appreciate this album. um, (laughs) And I'm cool with that, but I would be, I, I still, I mean, it's what makes all this so frustrating is that he's obviously such a talented person who in the past has been so extremely thoughtful that I would be lying if I said I didn't have a shred of me that was still like, I wonder where this is going to land. And like, 
I don't know. A part, a part of me also thinks that like, I hate to think that like, I mean, it happens all the time. We all know it happens all the time, but I would hate to think that this black man's emotional maturity has been reached at 30. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think part of why we all kind of are kind of like, what's going to happen later is because it's just like, well, this can't be the end. (laughs) I can't live in this hell. (laughs) Please God. That's fair. Oh man. On that note, Tahaka, thank you so much. This has been such a fun (laughs) conversation. I had a great time. (laughs) Oh my God. Come back anytime. Uh, Yo. Yes. uh, Before you go, tell people where they can find your Mm -hmm. work. Okay, yes. Uh, You can find my work by subscribing to Dinner Party, uh, New York Mag slash Dinner Party. It's my daily evening newsletter that is styled after kind of like an evening talk show where we just sort of like poke fun at all the things that happen in the world. Um, Also very Black. This month we are um, celebrating both Pride and Black Music Appreciation Month by combining the two because we don't believe that 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 is a coincidence. Um, And every single day we are spotlighting Black queer musicians. um, So you cannot act like you do not know these motherfuckers after you read this newsletter. So please subscribe. And you can follow me on Twitter at Love T-I-R-H-A-K-A-H, love, come on now. So yeah, that's where you can find me. This has been so fucking fun. And yeah, anytime, anytime I can be on talking with y'all, let me know. I'm I'm definitely down. We gotta find another excuse very soon. Thank you. The Color Nerds was created by me, Eric Eddings, and Brittany Luce. It's supported by our production team at Stitcher, including producer Alexis Williams, story editor Gianna Palmer, social producer Elise Ellis, and engineer Brendan Burns. Our theme music is by Willie Green. And look, y'all, we love hearing from you because we love you so much, our listeners. So please connect with us and tell us what you thought of this episode. You can reach us on Twitter and Instagram at For Colored Nerds, and you will never miss an episode by following us on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, or wherever you listen. We don't mind. Just listen to us somewhere. Who doesn't love a classic chocolate chip cookie? Famous Amos has been making them since the 70s, 1975 to be exact. With semi-sweet chocolate chips and a satisfying crunch, it's everything classic in one bite-sized cookie. And fans couldn't get enough. That's right. You'll find our original recipe, the one you know and love, in every bag of Famous Amos original chocolate chip cookies. Find Famous Amos anywhere you buy your favorite snacks.